It's common for us to ask questions like, what's happening? So what's happening? What's going on with you lately? This week? What's been happening in your life? Have uh, the people around you behaved properly? Done what you needed them to do when you needed them to do it? the way you wanted it done? Did you get everything you wanted this week? Last Sunday, maybe you were thinking about what, what might happen this week, what you wanted to happen this week, how'd it work out? It could be that, for some of us, it worked out better than we anticipated. And for some of us, it maybe didn't. For some of us, maybe something really difficult or hard or troubling occurred. Got an email from my sister this morning. I don't think she'd mind if I shared this with you. You know, my sister lost her son last summer. And today, or this last past week, she got a delivery of the autopsy report. She said the uh, FedEx guy cried with her on the porch. I love that guy. <laughs> and then he sent her a card. And I think, you know, that was a hard, hard, hard thing. And that guy made it just a tiny bit less hard. Good for him. <clears throat> if we ask what's happening, then I want to ask a follow-up question. What is God doing with it? What is God doing with it? Whatever it was, is God doing something with it? We read about what God does with everything in the reading we read from Romans 8. It says everything. It doesn't say almost everything, or, and it doesn't say all the good stuff. It says everything. All things work together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And that's just a way of saying all those who have been united to Christ by the work of the Spirit, bringing them to faith in the sacrifice of Christ. Those are the people who are called according to his purpose, who love God. So whatever happened, what is God doing with it? Well, that scripture says something good but you know that scripture goes on to say exactly what the good is. God works everything for your benefit. If you are his child, what is the benefit he's working? You know, it's not what you think it is. 
It's not tomorrow your life will be suddenly solved and happy. It is already your life has been solved. Well, if we look at that text, what it says is those who are called, who love God, called according to his purpose, it says that he has predestined them. In other words, he's predetermined their outcome. Predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the good. That's the good. Do you know that the best thing that could possibly happen to you is that you might become the Christ-like version of yourself? That's the good. And you know, the life of Jesus involved suffering with us. So whatever's happening, God is using. God folds it in and weaves it together in the whole story of all eternity so that in the end, you will be like his son. Scripture says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we... I mean, come on, us? That we should be called the children of God. And such we are. And then John, who wrote that sentence, goes on. He says, and you know, we don't know yet exactly what we will be. When we see him, though, this we do know. When we see him, we will be like him. Because we will see him as he is. The scriptures tells us that currently in this present life, our vision is a little obscured, a little foggy. One day, the fog will be lifted and we will see him and we will go, oh, oh. That's what I am, what I need to be, what I will be. And we will be compelled by his great goodness and his amazing grace and love toward us. And we will, from that moment, be conformed to the image of his son in every respect. We will not be able to help ourselves because we will see the goodness so clearly. But then John says, there's more. He says, the people who have this particular hope, this hope of seeing him as he is one day, these people even now purify themselves. 
So our vision of Christ today might be slightly foggy, but it's not zero. And so to whatever extent we can see him now, we want to be like him now. So we don't have to wait until then. We might not get it exactly right, but we don't have to wait. This is what Paul is writing about in Romans chapter 8 when he says, God, Almighty God, the Father of us, the Father of Jesus, is working in everything in order to bring us to that destiny that he has determined for us that we would be like his son. That is what God is doing with everything that has happened in your life this week. Wow. Wow. You know, I don't notice this much. I could ask the corresponding question after I say what's happening in your life this week and after I ask well, what's God doing with it? God is using everything, everything to bring about in you that Christ-like predestined version of yourself. I could ask this question after that. What's the devil doing with it? Whatever happens, the devil is trying to make something out of it. This is the text we're in the middle of in Ephesians chapter 6. We're talking about standing firm in the face of the devil's work. What's the devil doing with it? Well, it's really, really, really simple what the devil's doing. There's only like one thing he wants, and that is to keep you from seeing the goodness of God and to keep anyone and everyone from ever understanding God's goodness. To blind us, the Scripture says. And so he says he's blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they won't even see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, the goodness of the gospel itself. They can't. He keeps them blind. He doesn't want anyone to see God's goodness. And he wants you to question God's goodness. He wants you to be self-reliant. That's what he said to Eve. Said, God, you know, he's just trying to keep you down. That's how he is, you know, God. He's just trying to keep you down. You should go, or you go on your own. You'll do fine. Don't worry. Die. You're not going to die. 
It's a lie. It's the encouragement of self-reliance by questioning God's goodness. God wants us to be conformed to the image of his son, to be made in his likeness, to bear his image into this world, to exhibit the great goodness and glory of God in our very selves. And the devil is trying to keep God from showing anywhere. We're encouraged in this text to stand, to stand against the attack of Satan. And what we are encouraged to stand in, if you read what Paul says about standing firm all over the New Testament, he says in Romans chapter 5, through Christ we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand in grace by faith. And then in chapter 11 of Romans, he says, it's true, they were broken off, and he's speaking about the Jewish people as a group because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So don't be proud but fearful. <laughs> it's not because of something you did. It's because you trust in the one who did it for you. Stand there. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, he says, Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel that I preached to you, that you received and on which you stand. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, I do not mean that we rule over your faith, but we are workers for you, with you for your joy, because by faith you stand firm. If we ask the question, what is the stand we're taking in Ephesians chapter 6, the stand we're taking is this, our standing in grace, which we have by faith. And so we might ask, what's the devil up to? Well, the attack of Satan is about nothing other than this. Separate people from God. Alienation is his goal. Alienation, we have another word for that, death. Separation from God is dead. And how might Satan separate you from God? Well, if you're in Christ, it's impossible. You can't be separated from God. You are united to God in Christ. There's nothing the devil can do about that except he can distract you. He can't get you rejected again by God because God has received you into his fellowship and there's no reversing of that decision. But he can distract you. He can get you to operate as though 
you do not have fellowship with God. He can tell you what a waste of time it is for you to pray. His goal is is simple, simple. Separate us from God by turning us away from faith, from reliance upon Christ to self-reliance. Just do it. Just you, you make things happen. You get it done. The devil wants to keep alienated people alienated. If we think about our standing in Christ and the what might shift us off of it in chapter 4 of Ephesians he says so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine that's not standing firm that's being blown around. And so in that text in chapter 4, we're talking about the operation of the body of Christ and what keeps you from being blown around is you grow up into Christ in the body of Christ. Together we become one new man in Him. Together What helps you to stand is you've locked arms with the rest of us. But the devil, he just has has one thing he's interested in, and that is blurring our vision of the goodness of God in Christ. He wants you to be distracted from it because you might go out there and tell somebody he's got blinded the whole story, and the Spirit might work in that person and relieve their blindness, and they see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so he needs to keep you quiet. Plus, he just enjoys it if you try to operate in this life by yourself without God's assistance. He is God's enemy. He hates everything God is doing. And there's just one strategy, keep us humans in the fog. Simple, simple. Except he can do this a million different ways. And he would like us to think it's really complicated. He would like to distract us because he always seeks to distract us by his strategies. He wants us all to be wrapped up in spiritual warfare classes. So we think there's some special skill that we need to have in order to do battle with him. But the Bible strategy is simple. Look to Christ. Abba, one little word shall fell him. But the devil's trying 
this all kinds of way. He appears as an angel of light. He appears as a terrifying demon. Whatever, as long as it's distracting you. He can inflate your self-esteem or shatter it. Whatever. He can make you think you've got this under control and get you to operate in self-reliance in your own success. This is what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. You remember him? Kings should never go out on their roof and survey the land. It gets them into trouble every time. And Nebuchadnezzar went out and he surveyed and he said, what a great guy am I? And then the Lord, you know, took the rug out from under him. And in the end, the Lord brought Nebuchadnezzar back to the Lord in humility. The devil can use your success against you by getting you caught up in yourself. And you know, when the Lord or when the devil might work your failures against you, it's kind of the same thing. He's getting you too caught up in yourself. That's where he wants you caught up in yourself and not occupied by the heart of Christ. He can focus on immediate suffering to get you to question the, the goodness of God. Or he can get you to focus on success in order to question the need for God. <clears throat> he can convince you that he doesn't exist or that he's God's equal. That he and God are in a, a great battle and we don't know the outcome. That he's everywhere and all-powerful like God. He can distract you with politics, with ambition, with lust, with material comfort or material deprivation. Sickness or fitness. Pain or pleasure. Any of these things So if we ask, what is God doing with everything? God is working everything, everything, even the sneaky work of the devil. God is working for your good. This is a no-lose situation. However, I recommend you cooperate with God. Generally speaking, the devil operates in the world. In the scripture, we're told we have three enemies. These enemies are the things that oppose faith. The enemies are the devil, the world, and the flesh. The flesh is me operating independently. In other words, not operating in the Spirit. So the Spirit and the flesh are in competition, we read in Galatians. So here in Ephesians, we are given a recommendation to put 
on the armor of God in the face of this opposition. And so today, we're getting to what is the armor? What is the armor? Well, here are the elements of armor. The first element is truth. 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 In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, You heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed in Christ, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. Truth. <laughs> marked with the seal, the guarantee. The Ephesians chapter 1 describes the giving of the Spirit as our guarantee of the inheritance that we have in Christ. Truth. The truth. The word of truth is the gospel. <laughs> in chapter 4 we read, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head even Christ. So we, together, grow into the one new man, Christ, by speaking the truth. What truth? I don't think he's talking about geography facts. He's talking about the truth, the truth that he already mentioned in chapter 1, the gospel of your salvation. The fact that the sacrifice of Christ has paid the penalty for your sin and so the door to God's throne is open to you if you will but go in. That truth. In chapter 4, a little later on, he says, but you did not learn about Christ like this if indeed you heard about him and were taught in him just as the truth is in Jesus. When you fasten the belt of truth, you're fastening Christ himself. Jesus said in John chapter, well, in John 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I'm telling you the truth. He said, I am the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, the good news here is anyone who comes through him can go right to the Father. Jesus said right in that same chapter in John chapter 14, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In John chapter 1, we read, the word became flesh and took up residence among us. We saw his glory, the glory of the one and only, the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth who came from the Father. Truth is the piece of your armor that you put on like a belt and you fasten it around your waist and you keep everything together in its proper place by the operation of the truth. Christ 
the truth. Put on Christ. And then he says, like a breastplate, dress yourself. And this is a different word. You fasten the belt of truth and you dress yourself in the breastplate of righteousness. And if we looked up righteousness in the book of Ephesians, we would read this in chapter 4. And to put on the new man who has been created in God's image. Wait, put on the new man created in God's image in righteousness and holiness. That comes from the truth. We are dressed in the armor of righteousness. And that armor is Christ Himself. I do not come to my fight with the enemy dressed in my own righteousness. That would take about a second to demolish. All this, Satan doesn't have to lie about me to label me a sinner. He can say righteousness. I don't see any righteousness. All I see is the stuff God says stinks. All your righteousness are like filthy rags. Righteousness. Who is my righteousness? Not me. Paul says, I want to be standing before God, be found in that day. This is in Philippians chapter 3. I want to be found in that day not having a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through faith, the very righteousness of Christ. God gives me credit for His righteousness. The life he lived as a man, I get to wear as armor. In Romans 5, we read, If the transgression, by the transgression of one man, death reigned through the one, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life? Through the one, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as condemnation for all people came through one transgression, so too through the one righteous act came righteousness leading to life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man many will be made righteous. And this text says, we put on the breastplate of him, righteousness. And so when the devil comes around and says, yeah, but you're not righteous, I say, right, but get a load of this armor. You've got nothing on me, Satan. Even though I am as guilty as you say. But my sins are forgiven, 
and I stand in righteousness, not righteousness of my own. What will you accuse Almighty Son of God, Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, what will you accuse him of? What have you got on him? Because that's the righteousness I'm wearing, not mine. The third piece of the armor, <laughs> I'm not going fast enough, is shoes. I think some of us probably wouldn't have thought of putting shoes on the list because we just kind of take shoes for granted. And here the word for putting them on is another different word, which is the word for like strapping in, lacing up, tying on. What is it we tie on like shoes? Readiness in the gospel, readiness in the good news of peace. Wow. Readiness in the good news of peace. How's your readiness in the good news? Are you strapped into it real well? Does it make you mobile? How are you in the arguments? Can you make a case for the gospel because you know the gospel? Now, the gospel is super simple. A child can understand it, but it's also really deep. And sometimes the devil is working up all kinds of arguments against the goodness of God in Christ all over the world. You've heard them. Some of them aren't even really good arguments. They're just ridicule. And they're empty ridicule. How's your, how are your shoes? Readiness in the good news of peace, like shoes, like good shoes on your feet, lace up Christ. Because the gospel is Jesus Christ. The good news is him. And the question is, when I ask you how well you know the gospel, the deeper question is, how well do you know him? The good news. Lace up the good news of peace. You're standing in res readiness. And if we looked at the good news of peace in the book of Ephesians, we'd have to go back to chapter 2 where it says, He himself is our peace. He makes peace. He makes peace between the previously warring groups of people. He brings them all together in one new man, one body of Christ, one church. He reconciles us all to one another. How? By the work of his cross. Jesus died for your sins. How can I hold anything against you? We have peace. We have peace made by the work of his cross. And then it says, Together in one body, he reconciled us to God. Peace. This is the good news of peace. The people of God are the people of God. He has set his claim on us. He will not be defeated. And my understanding, the depth of my understanding of this good news gives me agility. 
in our match with the devil. It makes me mobile. It gives me the capacity to say, well, did you ever think of someone makes an argument, I could say, well, it doesn't sound to me like you've ever thought of this. I need to know this. I need to read up. This is a battle for the minds and hearts of people. Being a good Christian is a lot about being a well-educated Christian in the gospel. So I encourage you, get those shoes on. And then he says, carry another word, not the same word. So we fasten the belt, we dress ourselves in the armor, we lace up the shoes and we carry the shield, faith, faith. Wherever you go, carry your faith in Christ like a shield. Faith in Christ, faith in Christ will knock down anything the enemy throws at you. And here's the thing, if Christ doesn't shield me, the devil will have me. The shield of faith, and the faith is simply Christ. Trust him. Look to him. The devil has a simple strategy, which is distract you from Christ. So put, carry the shield, Christ, your faith in Christ. For me, this is one of the reasons I need to have church every week because I got to remember this stuff. I need the reminder. I need to get together with the, my fellow soldiers and go, let us lock arms, carry our shield, trust in him. Look to him. What's happened to you this week? Oh, we need Christ. Whatever we're facing, we need to know God is working it for our benefit. We need to remember we already won. Sometimes it seems like we're losing. But we already won. And finally he says, (laughs) put on the helmet of salvation. It's interesting. There's a verse in Isaiah chapter 59 where the Lord himself wears, puts on a helmet of salvation. And the picture in Isaiah is this picture of God going to war for the salvation of his people. (laughs) And here, this, this verb for putting on the helmet is really interesting because it, li- it literally means bend your head down and let someone put the helmet on your head. And this reminds me, oh, you know, when you put on armor, you don't really do it yourself. Someone has to help you. And so the Lord places salvation on your head like a helmet. So you are a hard-headed individual. 
in Christ. It is hard for some stupid, sneaky idea to depose Christ from the throne in your head because your salvation is your helmet. And your salvation is not your work, but His 100% from beginning to end. He decided to save you before He made anything. He united you with Christ on the cross so that in His death you died and in His resurrection you rose. By grace you have been saved, we read here in Ephesians. By grace, salvation is a helmet. You were dead, but he saved you. Saved, saved, saved. Not might if you behave yourself, but has, even though you don't behave yourself. His grace is sufficient for you. His grace. So whatever has happened, I don't know, I sometimes get dowdy when stuff happens the way I don't like. And it, I mean, you'd probably be embarrassed for me if I really let you know how easy it is to get me doubting. What a low level of something going wrong can distract me. It's pretty low level. And I can start to wonder, is this even true? That's the battle. That's the battle. Just get anyone wondering if this is even true. And what are we talking about? We're talking about the goodness of God in the service of the incarnate eternal Son. That's what we're talking about. Is God good? What is the proof of God's goodness? Well, I'll tell you some things it's not. It's not whether... Amazon gives you good service. It's not whether your candidate gets elected to public office. It's not that. It's not if your kids cooperate in getting their homework done. It's not. It's not even whether your kids are healthy or sick. It's not. Or you, it's not whether you continue to not have cancer or you don't. That's not the proof of God's goodness. Any or all of those things could happen to any or all of us. One day, you will not recover. And the proof of God's goodness is not in the healing of your body this week or the size of your bank account this week or any other thing that might happen to you. The proof of the goodness of God is only in one place. The resurrection 
of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's it. The fact that the Son of God, eternal, became flesh, gave His life a sacrifice for your sin, and rose again from the dead, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God this very moment, interceding for your lack of perfection. The the death of Christ is the proof of God's goodness, and it's the only totally convincing proof. All other promises will fail. The promise of God in Jesus is affirmed. God is good, and all we want to do is keep that in mind. And all the devil wants to do is cause you to forget that whatever way he can. So as we go about this week, things are going to happen. And I will not be distracted by my success and claim it as though it wasn't somehow the work of God, but the work of me, only what I deserve. And I will not be distracted by my failure and say, where's God? I will focus myself on Christ. I will fix my eyes on him and keep running the walk, the run of faith, the race of trusting in him. Let us link arms, join together, and put on the armor of God in the face of this crazy world. Father, thank you for your grace. Lord, help us, help us, Lord. We need the spirit of you in our hearts to work in us so that we would be totally possessed by the Lord Jesus, our faith, would be focused. He would completely occupy us so that we never lose sight of your amazing love for us. When the world around us or the devil is trying to persuade us that you're absent or uncaring, we know you're good in Christ. We put on Christ. We thank you for this amazing goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.